Good morning. My name's Howard, I'm an elder counsel, and I work with the men's ministry here at uh, FBC, which is a reminder that in two weekends from now, we have the men's retreat over by Grants Pass that we need to sign up for. You have information in your bulletins, and it's not just for the young. It's also for the senior saints to help. Today we're going to read the scripture from John 4, 1 through 15. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied from his long journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples have gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samarians. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons, and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. That is our word. You can be seated. Good morning and happy new year. Um, I am Pastor Todd uh, Kilmeyer. I'm the, the pastor of student ministries here and um, so glad to get to share with you this morning um, this passage about uh, from John chapter four in the uh, and the woman at the well. So I want to kind of give a caveat to this message before I start. Is is you probably have heard this message preached many times, um, and especially if you've grown up grown up in the church like me, probably heard this from many different preachers in many different uh, settings. And so I, I do want to before you check out and check out how the Seahawks are doing. Um, um, or your fantasy football team is doing this week, I, I do want to encourage you that I really do believe that God has something for you this morning um, in this message. And so I would encourage you that I hope that God is going to use this message in a, in a new way in your heart uh, this morning. Uh, in, in our culture today, uh, today, I think that it's becoming, in America, it's becoming more of a shame-honor culture. Uh, and what I mean by that is a, and this really wasn't always the case. So the shame and honor culture is basically trying to deny all the shame that you can from uh, you or doing shameful acts so that it doesn't 
cast, look bad on you or your family, um, and trying to live up to an honorable way, and so be like do good things and not bad things. Um, and this shame-honor culture has been popular, and many cultures around the world still live in a shame-honor culture. Um, in history, actually, I'm a history buff, so in ancient J uh, Japan, a shame-honor culture was so evident that a warrior's defeat, the, known as the samurai, if, if they def were defeated in uh, excuse me, battle, the shame of defeat was so great that they would actually, to honor, it was more honorable for them to commit ritualistic suicide and fall on their own sword than to like in, be embarrassed or be shamed by the defeat that they just faced. And this actually, this culture actually went up into World War II, and actually the infamous kamikaze pilots led, and, and this shame-honor culture did the same thing, and that's what led to this, the kamikaze pilots in, in World War II. And in Jesus' day, this culture was relevant and, and pervasive. You, you avoided shame at all costs to bring honor to your family in any way possible, so doing shameful acts would not only bring dishonor to you, but also to your family. And so Jesus was walking in a time where shame was avoided at all costs. And I think in our, in our day and age, America is becoming more and more like this. With, with social media and cameras being around 24-7, everything you say and do can be caught on the internet for all to see forever. And now everything that you do, because it's, it's, it's captured is now up for public debate and public opinion. So if you say or do something that the, wi the wider culture deems as shameful, not only you might be, or deems dishonorable, you, you might be canceled, you might be, uh, and you might be at least ostracized for it. You can call it cancel culture, Karen culture, call it what you will, our lives are surrounded by dinging up the worst in someone's life and then beating them down for it. And I, I just want to say I am actually relieved that everything that I said and did in middle school and high school has not been on the internet uh, because I know I did some stupid things and I know I did some shameful things. So heck, I mean, even today, I'm actually kind of uh, a little ashamed to be up here in front of you because it's already January 2nd and I already failed my New Year's resolution. Nailed it. Mushu from the, from the, uh, uh, the, the popular uh, Disney movie, uh, Mulan, would say, like, I already have brought dishonor to me, to my cows, and to my family for not uh, keeping up with my New Year's resolution. So this morning, you may find yourself in a similar state of shame, and it may be because of sin in your life, um, that you're scared that someone might be fi finding out about, or it may be even just mental or anxiety, shame about the way you look or the way you acted, or maybe it's just shame from something that went wrong at work or in school. And so I want to give you hope this morning, and I don't want us to feel shame because the real honesty is that there is hope in the gospel. And this, the story about the woman at the well shows us that, as the title of this message is, there is no shame in Jesus' name. On a side note, that it will also be my, um, the title of my first solo uh, rap, or Christian rap album, 
Um, and you're thinking, oh, I didn't know he was in a rap group. <laughs> Think about that one. No. So, um, no shame in Jesus' name. And so I want to, this, this message is, is, is for if you're feeling any type of shame, if you've experienced shame in your past that you still can't get over, or if shame will eventually find you in some form or fashion because of the cancel, cancel culture that we live in, I want to give you encouragement that there is hope in Jesus' name. And so uh, we'll be in John chapter 4 this morning, so if you're um, opening up, uh, while you're opening up, I just want to remind you that there is something here for you, even if you've heard uh, this passage preached uh, before. As Howard already read this morning, we find Jesus in Galilee, and he's avoiding the Jewish leaders, and he's on his way to Samaria, and maybe you've already heard this before, but there were two roads from, from where he was to Jerusalem. And he could take the direct southern route, which went through Samaria, or he could have taken the long way around Samaria and basically d- taken that road. That would take a little bit longer, but both roads were accessible to him. And so he took the direct route through Samaria. But in this day and age, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They, they were... Both, they viewed each other. Um, basically, the Jews thought that they were basically inbreds. They, they bred with the outside cultures. They worshiped God in different ways because of that. And Jews looked down on them with disgust, hate, and really prejudice. And so no good Jew, quote-unquote, would ever go through, take that shorter route. They would actually go around to avoid Samaritans at all costs. To put it in context that we might be able to re- relate, in the world of West Side Story, it's like the Jews and the Samaritans would be like the Jets and the Sharks. Except with all the dancing, without all the dancing, you know. Um, or in the, 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 maybe Harry Potter is more your thing, so it would be like the Purebloods versus the Mudbloods. Uh, I've never read it, so I have no idea what I just said. So, <laughs> or even in modern day America, in polit- the political realm, it'd be like if the Democrats and the Republicans. So Jesus intentionally goes through Samaria, and unlike his interaction that we that he just had with Nicodemus, uh, with at night, this interaction actually happens with a woman, let's say, of questionable moral standing, and in the middle of the day. Look with me at verses 7 through 12. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who, uh, and who it is that saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where would you get, or where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well to drink and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. See, like, this first interaction is actually a lot more confrontational than his interaction with Nicodemus uh, previously in chapter and Jesus is tired from his walk. He's like, I need a drink. And so he actually, it's, it's about the sixth hour, and this is not a time that the well would be busy at all. In fact, there are probably, most of the people have already gotten their well water for the day. 
And yet there was this woman who was there. And Jesus not only meets this woman, but he actually talks to this woman. And so this is a significant happening. Like this is not just to be like, okay, so he's talking to a woman. No, a Jewish man is talking to a a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. And there is implications that, as we'll see later in the passage, that she's not of good moral standing, let's say, in society. And so Jesus shows us that even in this first interaction, that Jesus himself, through the gospel, through his, who he is, the Son of God, actually he breaks down all the barriers. The shameful barriers that, that exist between the Jews and the Samaritans have no meaning. There is no shame in what Jesus is doing. And so the gospel is breaking down the barriers between people. We, we even find this in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all in one, or sorry, all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus breaks down all barriers. This doesn't mean that there aren't differences between people. Our humanity exists in many different shapes and sizes and colors, and it's all very beautiful. But when we are in Christ, there is more in unity with Christ than there are differences between each other. Jesus brings us together more than any division could break us apart. So let's put this into context. So I'm a white male, American, overweight, eagles rooting, husband, father, New Jersey born and raised person, right? And so, uh, and none of those things matter as much as my identity in Christ. So this means I have more in common with a non-white female, non-American, in-shape, cowboys-loving, single mother from Southern Asia than I do, that also follows Christ than I do with someone who's exactly like me. Did you get all that? Okay, yeah. <laughs> in Christ, all boundaries come down. Our unity in Christ all the shameful boundaries that might exist between people do not exist anymore. Christ himself breaks down all barriers. And so it's important for us to think about how someone who doesn't know Christ, that might be even our family member and related to us, or even our best friends, we don't have as much in common with the person who's on the other side of the world right now getting persecuted for their faith in Christ. See, at the end of this passage, as, as Howard read, um, she's still blind kind of to the fact of who Jesus is and what he's actually telling her. She, she's thinking like, hey, this living water that you're talking about, I, I want some. But she's wanting it as a meal ticket. She wants it as a way out to avoid the sin and the shame that is in her life. She says like, hey, hey, I want this living water. I, I want this living water that you speak of. Because, hey, then I don't have to come here every day. I, 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 if I had this living water that brings eternal life, hey, this is great. I'd, I would not have to come here. I wouldn't have to deal with people. 
and here's a, a woman that we'll find out later why, but this is really no different than what we would probably do because think of all the looks that she got. Think of this woman who's going to the well and all the judgment that she carried with her to the well. And now she's saying, hey, I got my ticket out. I can avoid all that shame if I just had this living water. I mean, how many of us would really want to experience that as well? I mean, does anyone want to be reminded of all the mistakes that they've made on a daily basis? Uh, If you are, you are a blessed person. But what does Jesus do right after this? It's amazing because you almost think that Jesus is just going to be like, it's all okay, it's all going to be great. And then Jesus does something that is a little unexpected. He actually confronts the sin right in front of her. See, not only in Jesus is there no shame and, and because he breaks down all barriers between us, but there's no shame in Jesus' name because he knows your shame. He already knows it. Follow In verse 16, this is what Jesus says. He says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have five, or you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus, I'm going to pause right here. Jesus already just said, yep, sinner. Like, I mean, he didn't call her in, a, this, is not a, this is not a condemnation. This is just showing his power of knowledge of who she is. He knows. The woman even responds in kind, says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where uh, people ought to worship. In verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those whom and those who worship him must must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. See, Jesus confronts the sin, says, I know you already. And this is an act of love. Like, if we really thought about love and what love is, it's the idea that being fully known and loved in return. It's, it's being fully revealed. And Jesus is saying, hey, I already know all about you. So he is confronting the sin, but he's not doing it in a condemnation kind of way. He's actually just calling, he's like, I know who you are. Jesus knows her shame already. Jesus knows her sin already. And he brings it out into the open. And her mood begins to change, too. At first, she's saying, like, hey, why are you talking to me? 
because of that rivalry, because of those, those boundaries between them. But now she starts asking questions about how to worship God and where to worship God and how is this happening. And through that conversation, Jesus actually reveals that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, that he is claiming to be this chosen one. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And he's causing her sin to be brought into light. Here's a woman who just, sin just got called out and brought into light. She's going to the well because she doesn't want the looks anymore. She doesn't want to be shamed by the people in the town that would cause her to feel shame. Now, she's probably aware of the sin. It's not like she probably doesn't know like what she's doing is wrong, but she just doesn't want to feel that on the on, like every day on a regular basis. She's going to the well at a time when everyone else already has gone because she doesn't want to confront the sin. She wants to keep it hidden. She wants to keep it from being out in the open, and she's pro- she's knowing that. I don't want to be in this shame anymore. So she's hoping when she sees Jesus and starts interacting with him, he starts giving her the keys to not feel this shame anymore. She starts to realize once he reveals that not only her sin and brings that to light, but she realizes that this living water is actually a key to eternal life, not just a meal ticket from not coming and avoiding that shame on a daily basis. And that, that worshiping God is actually more than just where you worship. It's actually worshiping God in spirit and in truth, which is found in Christ alone, which he claims to her. See, by bringing her sin up and confronting her sin she has started to realize her need for a savior. But to need a savior needs, or means that you need something to be saved from. So by bringing that sin and that shame into light, Jesus is actually allowing her to see that she needs salvation. In her case, when Jesus confronts her sin, he doesn't meet her with looks of disappointment or judgment or even condemnation. He actually looks at her with compassion. See, if I were a fly on the wall, or I guess on the sand, during this conversation, I would, I'd be like, oh man, Jesus is gonna, he's gonna flip some tables right now. He's gonna, he's gonna call out this sin, and it's gonna, it's gonna be like his righteous anger against it. See, my, my sinful pride wants Jesus to just call out the sin and be like, you're a sinner, you need, you need Jesus, this is like, that's the only thing. I just want him to call his righteous anger down and I would forget the teachings of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, she's in the process of realizing this. Jesus knows her shame already. It's up to us what we're going to do with it. Are we going to live in shame and hide it like, it, like, he can actually, like we can actually hide our shame and our sin from God? 
Are we going to continually act like it's no big deal? Are we going to continually hide it in the darkness? Or are we going to bring it in, into the light so that healing in Christ can happen? See, the gospel and our church community actually exists so that sin and shame can be brought to light in gospel community so that we can carry each other's burdens like it says in Galatians 6, uh, verse 2. This is what it says. It says, bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to carry each other's burdens. There is no room in gospel community for legalistic judgment in legalistic judgment. However, there is room for bringing sin and shame into the light so that our brothers and sisters can help us along in our sanctification. Jesus knows your shame already. There is no power in that shame if you bring it to light in gospel community with one another. And that's why the church, that's why this body is so important so that we can bring these things to light with our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, there is no shame in Jesus' name because, for our third point, Jesus takes on all your shame. By believing in Christ, shame has no more power over you. Because Jesus himself died on the cross for your sins, he took on all of them and instead gave us his perfect righteousness. Therefore, our shame was taken on by him as well. We no longer live under our shame. We no longer live under the power of shame and sin. And the woman of the well actually proves this point. Jump down to verse 28 with me. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Skipping down to verse 39, it says many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. See, the woman at the well believed in Jesus, and that he was who he claimed he was, meaning the Christ, the Messiah. Because she left her water and went into town. Let, let's read that. Like, let me read that again. The, wa- the woman left her water jar and went into the town. This woman was avoiding the town at all costs, like the plague, or in our case, the coronavirus. And she encountered Christ in this meeting with him. He reveals who he is. She is so powerfully moved and changed, she goes directly to the people that shamed her. She now goes and tells her testimony of what happened, 
her encounter with Christ now is her testimony to the people. There is no way that happens if she is not changed by the love of Jesus. She is literally living out what Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. She understood that the shame that she felt by not going to the well is no more. She understood that this man who claims to be the Christ is going to change her life forever. So much so that what he's going to do is allowing me to go into the place of my biggest fear. And what does she do? She proclaims Christ. She says to everyone that had the slant eye, like the, the, the looks, the judgment, the people who wanted to cancel her, the people who wanted to shame her, she went to those people. Now, her life has not changed. There's no, there's no evidence that she, like, she did anything to earn this, and there's no evidence other than the fact that she left the water that she needed and went into the town. There's no evidence that she's going and changing her life. However, her life has dramatically changed from the inside out because of her interaction with Christ. She is no longer under the power of this shame. She goes to the same people that were judging her. She goes to the same people that talked about her behind her back. She goes to the same people and tells them about Christ. says, come see this man. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And he told me about this living water that gives me eternal life. And he told me that he is the Christ. Now, what we see after that is the fact that, that these people come, the Samaritans come from the town. And of course, some of them were like, oh, I believe because like she told me, so I'm going to believe, I'm going to go see him. But they, they, they were moved by his message that he actually continued to share with them his gospel. Jesus takes away the, sh the, the shame in our lives, the sin and the shame, when we believe in him. Your shame has no power over you, just like your sin doesn't. That's why he rose again. We just celebrated the fact that Jesus, the God, creator of all things, came down in human and took on human flesh. We just celebrated that over Christmas, and we celebrated it, but the story doesn't stop there. Because he lived a perfect life. God in the flesh, in Christ, grew up, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, taking our sin and shame, died on the cross, a criminal's cross, even though he did not deserve it. And he took our sin and shame so that we could get his righteousness by believing in him. He rose again three days later to defeat the penalty of sin. The death penalty that we deserve, the separation from God that we earn because of our sin is no more. What does a few judging eyes have power, does not have power, over the gospel, 
over Jesus' blood, over Jesus' resurrection. She realized, I don't have to be shamed or feel shamed anymore. There is nothing anyone could say, there's nothing anyone could do to change who Christ is. So what does this mean for us? I, I always ask the students on Wednesday night, how is this going to change tomorrow? How is this message going to change my life moving forward? That's always the application I ask them to think about. And we're all going to go after the, after the New Year's celebration, and hopefully maybe you'll actually fulfill your New Year's resolution. We're gonna, but how does this change Monday morning? when we go back to work or school or just our regular routines. And so I'm going to give a couple application points from this message before we close. And I just want to understand, like just for a review, the reason there's no shame in Jesus' name is because he breaks down all barriers between us. Because he already knows all of our shame. And he already took all of our shame on the cross on himself. So, have you ever thought about the unity that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ? About someone who thinks incredibly different than you, who looks nothing like you. They are more in Christ than you are to your closest family member or best friends who don't know Christ. You have more in common with them than you do a family member or a best friend. That's how powerful Jesus is in breaking down barriers. So maybe I want to challenge us today. It's to step out of our comfort zone of, of, of people who look and act and think exactly like us and to step out of our comfort zone so that we can share in gospel community not just with people like us, but people who are vastly different than us. those people who are completely different than us. And that's actually where gospel community can take place, where the gospel can actually move mountains. Because if the outside world looked and saw people who don't look or shouldn't be seen in the same room together, worshiping the same God, loving each other and carrying each other's burdens as they bring their, their lives and their hardships and their difficulties to light with one another and caring for one another, and loving one another. Man, that's a testimony to the outside world that something's different about these people. And that difference is that Christ changes us. We have more in common in Christ than we ever have any differences that could divide us, whether language, socioeconomic status, or even political viewpoints. And so maybe this year, as we look to the new year, maybe it's just taking that step outside of our culture and, and partnering with brothers and sisters who don't look like us, don't act like us, and are vastly different than us. And, and in Christ, in the gospel, standing hand in hand together and loving one another. So the second application point is, is a little bit personal for me, um, simply because I've benefited from it. 
So in gospel community, we need to bring our sin and shame into light. We need to confront it and confess it. Now, I want to make sure, I want to be clear that, of course, you confess to God, and that's who you confess. You don't need a priest. You don't need someone else to confess to. However, I will say that bringing sin and shame into the light in gospel community is incredibly beneficial. So the reason we do this is that we as a community can carry each other's burdens, as we said, saw in Galatians, that we can pray for one another, that we can actually share in the burden of actually walking others through difficult times and difficult sins that they are dealing with. See, for me, when I was in middle school and high school and some of college, I struggled with an addiction to pornography. And it wasn't until I shared that sin in gospel community with other brothers that I was able to slowly but surely get over that addiction. It's through the work of Christ, through those men that I trusted with that sin, I brought it to light, and they were able to push me on to sanctification. Now, it was God working through them, and it was God working through me, and it didn't happen overnight. It took a while. But I stand here today being free from that sin, not because of anything I did, but because of the power of God working through my sanctification, but also the, the, the other men that helped me through that process. I would not be standing here today, and I can tell you that I would not be standing here today if I didn't bring that sin to light. And so, because of that, person, like that personal experience, I encourage us as a gospel community, if whoever you're doing life with, in this church, I, man, I pray that whatever sin you're holding back because you're too shamed to, to share it, I pray that you would at least bring it up so that others can pray for it, pray for you. And don't act like the prayer doesn't work thing. Don't be like, ah, oh, yeah, I can pray for you, but it's not going to work. Prayer can move mountains. If I, I heard a preacher say, and I honestly don't know who said it, but I apologize to the, I want to give credit where credit is due. But they said, if you do nothing today, nothing, I mean, you stayed in bed all day and all you did was pray, it would not be a wasted day. We have to start looking at prayer like that. So when someone does come with sin and, and, and brings it into light, that we can pray for them and actually believe that that's going to do something. But we just don't leave it there, that we can carry their burden so that we can share in their successes when they uh, when that sin is defeated, but we can also share when they fall. Because the amazing thing about our gospel community is that we believe in grace. We don't have to stay our legalistic selves and, and be in our pride and say, well, at least I don't have that sin. At least I'm not as bad as that person. No, we can carry their burdens and we can walk alongside them hand in hand and actually see the gospel transformation in their lives. And man, that's a testimony to the gospel. That's a testimony to Christ. That's God honoring where we can say, this person, their lives have been changed and we have seen and witnessed it in community. That's what gospel community is all about. Finally, we have to realize that sin and shame really don't have power over us anymore if we believe in the gospel, if we believe that Christ died on the cross for our sins, 
there is no more shame. We can be exactly like this woman at the well, not in her actions, but in her actions of sharing her testimony to the same people that she was shamed by. We, when we realize that Jesus took on our sin and we live as if we are fully righteous in Christ, man, there's nothing, there's nowhere we can't go in our lives. We can actually go into the, the, the nitty-gritty of our lives, the, the places where we do feel shame, and we can actually speak truth and the gospel and our testimony in those same places, just like the woman at the well did. We can go enter in without fear of getting more shame or getting more because we don't have that power. No longer are we slaves to sin. We, are, we live as Jesus is our master of our lives. And so imagine just for a moment if you weren't ashamed anymore. Imagine if you didn't have to carry that burden of shame. Well, what would you do? Would you even go back to the place where you felt ashamed and even share the testimony of how God changed you from the inside out? Maybe you could enter into that same place where, where you felt shame and share the gospel and share the love of Christ, that, that eternal life, that living water that he offers. Just think for a moment about the precious blood of Christ that he took on our sins. God himself died on a cross. Wrongly accused for us. Jesus died so that we could live in freedom from the death penalty of sin. What are we afraid of? Shame is no more in Christ. Let's start living like Jesus' sacrifice actually meant what we are, that we are free from the penalty of death. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That that penalty, that death penalty, the separation from you is no more because Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose three days later. We are so thankful for that blood sacrifice. We are so thankful that we do not have to live for our prideful selves, or live in the shame, or live in our sin anymore, that we actually get to have new lives in Christ. That we get to follow Christ rather than ourselves. Lord, we pray that this, this day, this new year, 2022, would be a year that we would follow you. That we would live unashamed of the gospel. That we would actually enter into the old places of shame where we felt shame, sharing our testimony, sharing about how you changed our lives forever. Lord, let us be bold. Let us learn from this word. Let us learn from our mistakes. Let us learn from 
what you have for us and let us follow you with all of our hearts. There is nothing that can separate us from you. There is no power, no words that, can, that hurt us, no shame that we could feel that is more powerful than your, your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to take communion as a church family together this morning. Uh, so feel free to get your elements ready. Um, I would suggest uh, opening the bread first because otherwise it can get a little messy. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, the, the juice second. So this is a time of remembering Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The fact that we just celebrated his birth and now we want to remember his, the cross. Why the Son of God, Jesus, came down and took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, having committed no sin, and rose again three days later to defeat the death penalty of sin. And all we have to do is believe in him. This is where we remember. The reason we remember is because we can easily forget the power and the significance of the cross. A famous author said, we never move on from the cross. As Christians, there's nothing more important than the cross. We never move on from the cross. We easily forget and we continue our lives as though we are stuck in our old life with sin and shame still holding a grip on our lives. But these elements that we're about to partake in, the bread and the wine, or juice in our, our case, we would focus on the fact that our lives of sin and shame have no more power and we walk in the newness of life. So I'm going to pray and then be silent for a bit, bit and I would just take that time to silently pray and remember the cross, to remember that we, the freedom that we have in Jesus because of Jesus' broken body and blood. So let me pray. Father God, we never want to forget the sacrifice of your son Jesus. Let us now in our hearts remember the freedom we have from sin and shame because of Jesus' precious broken body and blood. Forgive us when we fall short of your holiness and let us continue to walk in your ways. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your perfect sacrifice. The scriptures say, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took uh, bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Let's take the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink. Lord, thank you for saving us. We wait till you come again. Amen.